0: Trojan fans, welcome to the Parastyle podcast on a Tuesday. Hopefully everyone's being safe out there. We're going to talk some USC football and some of the goings on around here in Los Angeles and across the country with Dan Weber and Keely Yore. We've got them both back on the show. If you have any questions or comments, you can always email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. The number to call if you want to leave a voicemail or send a text, 424 254 one, we do appreciate the voicemails and the the uh, text messages and the emails as well. You can also, if you want to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review, positive rating. You can do all of that on Apple Podcasts, on any of your Apple devices. If you want to leave a question there, we'll try to monitor that feed when we go onto the show. Read your question uh, first on the air. We do appreciate that. Subscribe wherever you can get your podcasts. And thank you so much for being part of our little show. We are back Again, it's been uh, an interesting week, guys. Since we came on, we got Keely Yore joining us. Uh, follow on Twitter at Keely is my name. What is up, Keely?
2: Hello, hello, Ryan. Interesting times indeed. Uh, hanging in there. Third night of curfew, so it's definitely interesting going on uh, in my neck of the woods.
0: Yeah, so you're you're part of LA County. I'm in LA County. Uh, 6 p.m. curfew is the last. It was 5 p.m. yesterday on Monday, and today is 6 p.m. It looks like.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah so it's just interesting getting all those alerts everything's boarded up around me um so it's definitely interesting but i understand why it's going on and and definitely just go you thought coronavirus is crazy now this is a whole nother level
0: yeah 2020 just has like 2027 hold my beer like every month or so just that something else happens um we also got uh, dan weber on the line dan how are you
1: Doing good. From uh, the uh, uh, fortress of Orange County, uh, where when they come at you, they just tell them, no, you can't go there. And that's it. They just say, nope, we closed that down. You're not allowed to go there. Go away. <laughs> it's a different world. It's like when you're living in Orange County and you're watching what's going on in L.A. and you kind of know what's going on in Orange County, you just think, wow, these are like right next to one another. And they're really different places.
0: Yeah, it's and I mean it depends where you are. Santa Monica has a 2 p.m. curfew today, I believe. I saw, uh, I think Ryan Karchi tweeted that out, and mm-hmm. it's different depending on where you're going. Obviously, all of this, I mean, we've been talking about the coronavirus for months, and it just seems like that's consuming you. And then you have, you know, the the George Floyd protest going on, the you know, the you know, very unfortunate murder and everything that's been going on with that. Now uh, we're seeing Los Angeles, and it's just reminding me of. Uh, 1992, when I was a student at USC, uh, of what's going on here. And, but, but I, I was, I had Petros uh, Papadakis on, uh, my live show lunch with the Trojan earlier today, unfortunately got cut off. You can check that out on uscfootball.com. We're going to have part two on Wednesday. So if you don't you know, check out both of those parts, we'll have them answer some more questions and stuff. And, you know, just, I, I, both of us, I think we're a little more encouraged, especially, you know, if you were around here in 92, when I was a student, um, there wasn't any social media. You didn't have anything like that. But I was just, there's a lot of encouraging signs. You see Tuesday, everyone posting the, um, you know, it's for, they don't, I actually don't use hashtag Black Lives Matter for this one, but everyone put the black square up on their social media posts and the Blackout Tuesday stuff. It just seems like a lot of people are coming together. You have so many peaceful protesters and there was a lot of cops. There were great interactions where they would get on a knee and stuff like that. And then there's like a small percentage that are doing, you know, bad things out there, but it's not, trust me, in 92, when I, you know, I was at USC, you're looking out your window and everything's on fire. It's definitely not uh, like that, but it's, it just seems like it's just like then some people have just had enough and there's, there's, you know, people want some sort of change and they want some kind of action to happen and not just talk about it. So, um, I mean, hopefully maybe this will be a good thing in the long run, but it's right now going through this in the city and, and across the country it's just a, it's a difficult time.
1: Yeah. I mean, you didn't need social media back then because you could communicate, you know, with the uh, smoke signals, you know, you just had to look out your window, as you said, and you could see the fires. So who needed, uh, you know, Twitter when, you know, the city's burning. So, yeah, I mean, you wish kind of that there were more perspective, more people who understood that things really are, are getting better. And to say they're not getting better at all. I mean, you see the Minneapolis Chief of Police, you know, a black man talking about how, you know, they've done this and they've done that and you think, you know, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, that wouldn't have happened. That you would not have had, you know, a black man as, uh, you know, chief of police in Minneapolis and all that. There've been a lot of positive changes that I think sometimes get lost a little bit in the you know overstatement and and the ability to cover everything the way we can with our you know media but we maybe don't have the ability to step back and say hey you know things may not as terrible as the George Floyd uh you know murder was uh the difference is now we see it and we experience it and it makes it you know, so much more, more difficult to live, uh, you know, with the, uh, you know, the other couple of uh, recent murders of, of black uh, people that we, you know, one we saw, you know, from Georgia, we saw on, on video uh, and a terrible one in Louisville where the EMT is, you know, they, they knock at the wrong door and, and blow her away. Uh, and, and we kind of experienced those in ways in which we never could before, but that doesn't mean necessarily that everything is is worse and nothing is getting better. I, I I wish, you know, I mean, let's face it, coronavirus was like the worst thing in the world. What a week ago? Now it's like coronavirus. Who? What? Social distancing? You know, where did that's just go? I mean, I, you will say this: all of the all of the response to the you know George Floyd murder has kind of just pushed coronavirus out of the picture completely. I mean, you don't hear people saying, ooh, I'm not sure about that uh, march. That doesn't look like they're all you know, social distancing. Uh, it, it's just, you know, what a weird world and how quickly things change and go from one to the next to the next. And we're here trying to you know, talk about USC football and guess where things are going to be in three and a half, four months it's hard to guess where they're going to be in, you know, three and a half to four days, much less three yeah. and a half to four months.
0: Yeah. It's just, I mean, I mean, and you know, all of us are, you know, Caucasian people, you know, you still don't want to say the wrong thing, Keely. It's more like, you know, you, there's sympathy, there's empathy. You want to listen, you want to read, you want to like inform yourself. I don't know what it's like to just be pulled over because of the color of my skin. That's never happened to me. Um, so it's, And it's tough and you don't want to say the wrong thing, but you want to be supportive and you want to, you know, you want to be part of the solution and and not part of the problem. But it's it's difficult, you you know. So, I I mean, we're we're just all trying to do the right thing here.
2: Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is listening to voices of those who have a different life than I do that I will never understand. I think, yes, we've made progress. But if a certain portion of the population is still saying that there's we have more progress to go and we have further to go, then I think it's up to us to listen and learn and listen to their experiences. So for me, it's all about learning and listening and validating people's feelings because that's what if people are are speaking out in a majority and saying that, hey, we need progress and I'm going to, as a human, listen and and empathize with them. So that's where I stand on all of it.
1: You could not have made a better point. I I think that whole idea of where you can say, yeah, I kind of have a sense we have to be able to talk to one another and I kind of have a sense for where you're coming from, but what you have to understand is I have to look at you and say, I understand maybe that you don't understand me and I understand that maybe I don't understand you. And the only way we can understand one another is to talk about it and, you know, put ourselves in the other person's shoes and all that. I would think all of the peaceful marches and protests and if you look at and you hate to even think about doing this when you start figuring out how many of this race and how many of that race. Are in, but if you look at those marches and if you don't think that the composition of those marches has changed from, let's say, the civil rights era and all of that, uh, they have. And you would not have the kind of marches that we're seeing if that weren't kind of a popular Uh, you know, sentiment, because there are a lot, I mean, many, many, many thousands of people that are doing that. And, and, and that takes, you know, all races and all, you know, all demographics, uh, you know, to make something like that happen. And you hope people honestly look at every part of this to say, you know what, there are a lot of people of goodwill out there. And we need to all be you know, the, those people of goodwill. I mean, we just have to be and, and not try to score political points, let's say, or to turn everything into a political thing and try to, you know, well, you did this, but I, you know, I got you doing this. And then, you know, it's back and forth and then we don't get it. We don't go anywhere. You, you got to listen and and empathize with people and put yourself in their shoes. And uh, maybe we'll have more of that. But, you know, the... The looting and the right, the, the back end makes it harder, and, and somewhere you got to figure out how to separate that part of it out so that the George Floyd remembrance part becomes the, the only thing that matters. Yeah,
0: uh, well, part of this is how the sports world has reacted, and it's been, um, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of people struggling with what to say. The Pac 12 came out uh, with their statement, um, USC, you know, Clay Helton has had a statement and I think a lot of people were praising that Mike Bowen had some decisive action, the athletic director, uh, over a, some, some really insensitive comments made by a, a booster that they've ne- since disassociated with. Um, you know, it's, uh, you're seeing, I think across the board, just, you know, just seeing all those little black squares on my timeline this morning. There's a lot of people that are at least you know, being aware and, and, and trying to, you know, talk about, it. but the, the big voices like the, the coaches and stuff at USC and in the Pac-12 and the athletic director, Mike Bone, it's, it seems like the reaction, I mean, that what they've been saying, they've at least been saying the right things.
1: Yeah, I'm probably, uh, you know, listening to the Petros uh, uh, conversation. You do get a little bit of sense of, is this just virtue signaling? to some extent and not just, but how much is that? And how much, you know, where is it going? Or is it, you know, is what is it actually about? Is it about really solving the issues and, and figuring out ways to to come together or is it, you know, telling people, Hey, I'm on the right side. Look at me here. Um, And I think it's hard. It's really hard to, you know, you can make up, you know, come out with a statement, but then you wanna say, What exactly does that mean? And that's the hard part of it. You know, the statement not so much, but the uh, the making it happen in a way that that you live it out and and all of that is um, that's not easy. It's really not easy. Yeah.
0: What have you I, thought, Keely, about the statements? Yeah.
2: Oh, well, I mean, I was just going to add it. I saw on Twitter and some other social media platforms that it looks like the players and maybe some of the staff members had a team meeting last night um, where players got to share their experiences, specifically black players of being a black person in America. And it seemed like it really resonated with the white players on the team based on things that we saw from like Eric Cromenhook and Liam Douglas. They both posted on Twitter that like they were really moved by what uh, some of the players said. I'm trying to figure out more, so maybe we can have something in the war room about it. But it seemed like they at least took action and and tried to listen and learn like we were saying. Um, So that's at least something that they're doing behind the scenes that we saw some of that on social media kind of leak out. But it seems like they're doing some things um, to maybe educate uh, the the players on the team.
1: Well, I like the idea that you're learning about your teammates, things that they've gone through that they haven't maybe talked about. And you didn't know they were thinking those things because you didn't have to go through them, maybe. And then you realize, Oh, wow. You know, this is a guy that maybe is a better player than you are, or, you know, more honored or, you know, came, you know, more sought after or whatever. And then you realize, Oh, wow. He's really, he's had to go through this and has had to have, have these thoughts. And I didn't realize that. And I think, now, that's really good to, to share those, you know, within the team. And it looks like if sports has anything to offer to where to where we are today, it's that sense of everybody's on the same team and everybody needs to play well and everybody needs to work together and everybody needs to accept one another. And we all have to I think one of the great things about sports is everybody agrees on what the rules are. And how we're going to play the game. And whoever wins kind of, you know, has done a really good job and all of that. You almost wish some of that applied to like real life uh, outside of sports because sports here is a a way of, of, of getting you to understand everybody on your team, understand your opponent, understand, you know, how the game is played, and you get credit for you know, the kind of work you put in and, and all of that. And and, and it has nothing to do with what race you are or anything. It's just basically you're accepted for what you, uh, you know, contribute to the team and all that you wish kind of the world of sports, the lessons that we learn and the way we conduct ourselves was more, um, you know, in everyday life, I think in a lot of ways, I wish, wish we could, you know, transfer, transfer it over.
0: Yeah. Um, well, there's no easy trans <laughs> like uh, transition to yeah. uh, talking about football. Um, we're gonna try to do that. There've been some news since we've last uh, done a show. Like just before we go on, hopefully everyone's staying safe out there. Um, and uh, yeah, we we you know, appreciate. It. Please send in any kind of questions, thoughts, concerns you have, and uh, we'll definitely do our best. Um, and Certainly not an easy topic to talk about, but we wanted to make sure we did, uh, at least at the beginning of the show. Um, Other news has happened. Uh, JT Daniels has transferred out of the program. A little surprising uh, to me, but he's going to go to the uh, University of Georgia. I know, Keely, maybe we we have. Should we just do one of those? We have some questions on that, right? You want to do that?
2: We do, yeah. Just jumping straight into
0: it. <laughs> sure, why not? You know?
2: Okay. Uh, we have a email from our buddy Joan who says, Hi, Ryan, Keely, and Dan. Uh, it's Joan, a tried and true Trojan. Let's talk about JT leaving and the possible commitment of two very fine QBs in the 2021 cycle. First, it makes no sense to me why JT is going to Georgia where he has more competition. Why? And then we can get into the other quarterbacks second. So take it away, Dan.
1: Yeah, I think I was a little surprised. I mean, my understanding was that uh, uh, why would you want to go and have to for sure sit the season out when you could stay at USC, get a USC degree and, you know, compete for the job. And even if you didn't think that you were going to be able to beat Keaton out, now, if you just said to, you know, JT, hey can you beat him out? JT would say, yeah, I beat him out last year. I can beat him out this year. But realistically, you know, not being a hundred percent healthy and all of the other things after what Keaton did last year, that's probably not as realistic, but uh, you thought, you know, with, with uh, JT's makeup. And I, I do think the people that said, Oh, JT, when I want to compete, he competed as a freshman at modern day to get the starting job. They didn't promise him the starting job at modern day. When he was a freshman, he had to compete and win that job. I, I just think, uh, you know, a lot of that, uh, it, it was unfortunate the way some people have characterized, uh, you know, JT's time at USC, his freshman season and all that. But, um, It it surprises me a little bit that uh, uh, going to Georgia, because I know we had conversations about, well, you could go somewhere, learn the system, get in with all the coaches and then be ready to take over. And I know there was a fear that, well, you don't know for sure that that coach is going to be there. I mean, the NFL might offer him, you know, eight million dollars a year to take, you know, head coaching job, or if you go somewhere and they say, we got a new offensive coordinator and he's going to gear the game to your, you know, the way you play the game, uh, you know, that guy could leave. And I know that was, you know, pretty, you know, much in the thinking of, of JT and the people around JT. And uh, so to, to see them, you know, go to a place where it certainly doesn't look like you know, I know he's going to apply for a waiver to be, uh, be immediately eligible. And maybe uh, Georgia has some kind of magic um, that USC would never be able to pull with the NCAA. But it would be hard for me to see if he could play immediately. If he can play immediately, uh, that would be an interesting move because I do think um, uh, you know, he's good, he'd still have to beat out the grad transfer and really good athlete, Jamie Newman from uh, Wake Forest. But uh, but I think that would be an, uh, whether, you know, JT is is completely healthy to be, uh, to be able to do that or not. But if he's going to have to sit out this year, <clears throat> that gives him two straight years of having to sit out, you know, last year because of the injury, then this year because he wouldn't be eligible. If he were at USC, he would at least be able, you know, to be getting quality reps every day in practice. And they'd have to get him, you know, have him ready to to go, and who knows? I mean, with uh, with Keaton's history last year, uh, you really do have to be ready, uh, you know, to go. And you know, people knocked USC's offensive line. We think they've got a chance to kind of at least stand people off this year, but uh, they're gonna have to prove it. And uh, so it doesn't add up completely, but and it was a surprise that it just didn't seem to make sense. Was there, a, you know, is there anything from USC's point of view that 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 things changed that in J.T.'s mind and he just decided, I don't I don't want to deal with that. You know, everybody knows how much Graham, um, uh, you know, values Keaton Slovis and I, I think Keaton represents kind of uh, Graham Harrell. In a lot of ways, uh, kind of they were uh, overlooked in high school, not big superstar, not five-star guys and all that, who really achieved a lot in college, as, you know, Graham did with all his touchdown passes at Texas Tech. And I think Keaton very much is out of that same mold. And there just seems to be a bonding between those two that you certainly didn't see between uh, Graham and and, and JT. So is that part of the mix i don't think i'm I, i'm guessing we'll never know but uh it's uh it wasn't what you would have guessed was going to happen yeah i and
0: didn't the, guess it oh i'm sorry go ahead kaylee
2: sorry right now i was just gonna say i think that the crazy part too is i was actually told at the beginning of may from a team source a usc team source jt is going to go to georgia And at the time, when I asked other UGA sources and USC sources, the fact that JT was going to go to Georgia threw off so many people. And no one really knew that and kind of was like, no, we haven't heard that. And one, and two, that doesn't make sense. So it's funny how we didn't have enough to, to stand on it and publicly report it. But the fact that he was going to Georgia just confused so many sources that it actually delayed us getting the news out. So it's just interesting, the anatomy of a scoop and a scoop that doesn't actually come out.
1: Yeah, I don't think anybody at Georgia had a sense this was going to happen. So it'd be interesting to know what the anatomy of your uh, guy, uh, the scoop was. I mean, like, you know, it only takes one person to know one thing from one angle and you got it. But uh, and what was the connection? What was the thing that made all the reasoning change and and said Georgia? Um, Again, we don't have an answer to that question.
0: Yeah, that, and I think there's still some hope from, uh, you know, the Daniels camp of probably Georgia that he could get a waiver. Um, those things seem to be coin flips sometimes. Uh, there doesn't seem to be a real reason behind what the waiver would be. But if he got a waiver, Dan, and he had three years yeah. of eligibility, I guess it would be better a better situation.
1: Oh, without a doubt. No, if, he's got, if he could get a waiver wherever he could have gone, I mean – if I were him, you know, if he was going to get a waiver, you got to look at LSU. Uh, you got to look at Tennessee. You got to look there. Hey, you got to look at Oregon. I mean, I don't know if you could actually pull that off in the Pac-12 right now. I don't know where. I think grad transfers, they can't stop, but they might be able to stop undergrad ones. But, uh, but there are places you might think, oh, maybe you go here. Uh, there are places that would really – I mean, I got the sense when you talk, when the Georgia thing, when it came out that it was Georgia, that the whole thinking with JT is, oh, great, that'll give us five quarterbacks in the quarterback room. That's really good for our depth. If he'd have gone to, like, Tennessee or maybe even LSU, they're like, oh, my goodness, we're going to keep going, you know, especially LSU. Wow. we're You know, we're going to have somebody step in for Burrow. Uh, I, you don't get that sense at all, you know, for Georgia. But, um, so, you know, I don't know if he's got a waiver in his pocket that they think is there's a serious, you know, do, do they have a better shot at getting the waiver by going to Georgia? I don't
0: know. Yeah. We had another question, Keely, or
1: yeah, Joan,
2: had, Joan had a part two. obviously Miller Moss committed yesterday, Monday to USC. She says it looks like Moss and Garcia are not afraid to compete and recognize that Harrell's offense is a good place to launch their football careers.
1: No, that's interesting. If the if you get both, and that's not the norm nowadays. Um, you know, the quarterback transfer rate is so high, and that you know the the biggest stories in college football in recent years have been uh, you know quarterbacks transferring. Uh, you know, the two kids at Oklahoma win Heisman trophies, and then uh, um, uh, you got Alabama involved in one where you know uh, in terms of leaving, and then you've got uh, Um, uh, Joe Burrow at LSU. So, you know, you've had four really big deal transfers in the last, you know, four or five years. And it's not, I mean, you can only have one quarterback and, and, you know, you got a lot of kids that have a lot of ability and a lot of, you know, need to play. I mean, you can't, you know, you may eventually have another guy like, uh, you know, you can play, you can get to the NFL without starting and like Matt Castle, but, uh, I don't, you know, probably not going to happen very often and not anymore. And so you got to get on the field if you think you've got NFL ability. But um, um, you know, it's it, I wish we had some answers that we really feel like uh, um, we know what's going on. But it's kind of interesting that those two guys are willing to compete. But I don't think any of that says that JT was not willing to compete. I don't, I don't think that's uh, part of his makeup at all. Uh, I, 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 so I, I, I wouldn't go with any line of thinking that JT wasn't willing to compete.
2: Ryan, you had Miller Moss on Tunnel Vision. What was your impression of him and and his willingness to compete and whatnot?
0: Yeah, it's, I think ever since we started talking to Miller Moss, Shotgun had a really good story on him. The you know the four star. Quarterback, uh, elite 11 quarterback, uh, from uh, Mission Hills, uh, Bishop Balamani High School. Committed, yeah, there was some other news committing to USC, um, this past week, but yeah, it just seemed like competing was not an issue for him. Uh, he wanted to, it didn't matter that, uh, USC already had a quarterback committed in Jake Garcia for this class. Uh, you know, he saw Keaton Slovas have such a great freshman season. Um, For him, it just seemed like he's someone that likes to come in there and compete. So I I think most of the people most of the players we talk to, they're they're cool with that. Um, Now, sometimes, you know, you could see people getting want to be put in the better situations if if it's possible. But I never got any impression like that from Miller Mosquely that he didn't want to come in and compete.
1: And I guess you get the situation where you're willing to compete for that first year or so and see where you fit in. And then, like, uh, Joe Burrow, after three years at Ohio State and competing against, like, however many guys he was competing against, he just said, okay, time for me to go and uh, and find a place where I can be uh, Joe Burrow. And so, you know, the, the willingness to compete on the way in might not hold up for years, uh, two, three, whatever. Uh, so, uh, but you like the idea of, I mean, the last time, kind of that situation really played out was uh was sam Darnold and, and ricky town and you know sam was not the uh the obvious choice uh, to win that that battle until i guess the first day of summer uh player run practice and then uh then things turned around and um uh, so we'll see
2: Well, while we're on the topic of competing, we actually got a text from Marcel from the IE, who says, we've heard the news that JT Daniels is transferring. I was just reviewing John David Booty's stats and all his accolades, yet he never tried to transfer or complain about playing time. I'm not trying to pile on the coaches, but is this a coaching issue or a generational issue with these young kids?
1: I think it's a good observation. I think generational to some extent. They really know more about what other opportunities are out there, uh, and they just there is, they get a lot more publicity when they're in high school. Uh, They get more, you know, people, for example. uh, My guess is we would probably, even if we were in Shreveport, we would not have, maybe we'd have gone out and videoed uh, uh, John David Booty throwing the ball, but mostly it would be following his games and highlights. But now, you know, high school kids uh, do have their, throwing sessions, individual throwing sessions and all that uh, videoed. And uh, it's just, there's a, there's a focus on them that makes it I think um, harder to just sit there and, you know, you can understand that. Again, there's, you can only play one quarterback and, um, and, you know, teams that need them and you think, well, I'll just, I can go here or I can go there. So So I think it's generational as much as anything.
2: We have one more JT question, Ryan, and then I know we have some voicemails. So uh, it's from AJ, who says, Question for an amazing USCFootball.com crew. JT Daniels has repeatedly said that getting his degree from USC was important to him. SC players often return to SC for the degrees free of cost. Is that undergrad degrees, or is it also master's or higher? Can JT Daniels return to SC to earn a degree from USC without cost now that he has left for Georgia? he wishes to live in California after football, wouldn't a, de- a degree from USC have more value than a degree from Georgia? And then he says very nice things about the whole staff. I will save us from the platitudes. Uh, but that's from AJ. And he says, also, P.S., I love the questions from Dan, class of 62.
1: Yeah, so do we. So keep them coming, Dan. Uh, yeah, I don't think he's going to be able to come back. I don't think he he's going to need to come back. I think JT's going to, like he did in high school, finish in three years. I think he's clearly – uh, probably uh, going to finish in three years his undergrad degree. That was one of the other parts of that is the, his ability to finish his undergrad degree in three years at USC and go as a grad transfer anywhere, which that would have given him another year to really see what that new offensive coordinator uh, you know, is going to do at this school or is that head coach going to stay at that school or what is that – Brand new kid that came into this school. How did he do as a freshman and all that? It would have given him another year to, I think, be really, really clear on where is the best place that I can uh, that I can go to school. And he would have had two years um, as a uh, as a grad transfer, which is the ideal situation for teams trying to you know bring in a a transfer quarterback. Is if you can get a grad transfer who has two years at a quarterback, that's just, it doesn't get any better than, than that. So, you know, JT was the number two national transfer prospect this year. I think if he'd have waited a year, he might've been the number one guy coming out uh, next year. So again, uh, uh, a little, you know, a little bit, uh, puzzling that we just don't have good answers. But I, I don't think uh, once you've transferred like that, as much as USC is trying to encourage everybody to get their degree, uh, I don't even think it would count toward the APR. Once he goes to Georgia, he's going to count uh, to Georgia's APR. So my guess is USC probably not going to pay. If, if, say, hypothetically, he did need to get his degree they probably not going to pay for somebody that'll count on George's APR would be my guess. But uh, And as far as graduate degrees, we're seeing more and more guys. Uh, a lot of them are getting them in, uh, in communications or they're getting at least a year uh, of, uh, of work in because, uh, you know, a number of guys are getting, you know, their undergraduate degree uh, uh, in three years or, or real close to it. So they've got uh, a good part of a year of of graduate school, and a lot of those end up in, in communications. Um, however, how many have their masters? I don't, I don't think we've kept track of that. I don't think that's uh, and and a lot of those guys are guys who are thinking about going into the NFL or do get a chance to go into the NFL. And I'm not sure how many of them have their masters before they they get into the NFL, but they're going to be close enough that it won't be. That big a deal to to uh, you know to finish their uh, their graduate
0: degree. All right, well we got some other news uh, besides JT Daniels. USC did make a couple of hires. They at least made them official, and both guys started on June first. So Chris Claiborne, uh Butkus Award winner from USC, also in the USC Hall of Fame, former linebacker, and then Hayes Pillard, another former linebacker, former NFLer. They're both on staff now and. Analyst roles. Um, Chris Claiborne actually will be on the offensive side, trying to scout uh, self, do some self scouting, and uh, Hayes Pellard is going to help on the defensive side. So, uh, what did you think about the, the hires, uh, Dan?
1: Yeah, and and I know uh, uh, I don't want to give away the the plot with your Petros interview, but Petros wasn't very impressed with the uh, the celebration that USC conducted for the hiring of those two guys, and I I just think. If you're aware of how much USC for how long hasn't been able to hire guys like that, I think, I think the parade uh, is worth it uh, for, for bringing in those two guys. I just think attitudinally uh, the fact that they're both linebackers in a program that has just not tackled anybody well at all to bring in two premier tacklers who just by you know walking down the, the hall – uh, with those guys are, are going to give off the vibes about tackling people. I mean, I, I just think I think it's really a good move in, in every way. However, they use them, it gets USC up to um, double digits, uh, ten in uh, grant assistance and analysts, and that's like where the big boys are when you're getting into that kind of number. And it's kind of fulfilling, uh, you know, the promises that Mike Bone, uh, you know, made. Uh, coming in and i think we've had a decade of of not having promises uh you know lived up to uh, for usc football so if you want to talk about you know throwing a parade for something not so much just as good as chris claiborne and hayes pillard and what they bring to the program is it's more living up to the promise that yeah we're gonna do these kinds of things we're gonna have this kind of uh, you know, support staff uh, for this program. And we're going to get it to where you have to get it to be able to compete, uh, you know, for national championships. So from that standpoint, I think that's something to be, to be really happy for. Yeah. Have you, has it, have you won any games with these guys? Well, no, not yet. Uh, but it's putting you in a position to say there are no excuses. We've got what we need going forward we got to get it done on the field, on the practice field, you know, you know, on game day. And um, obviously, that hasn't been happening. But um, there are a whole lot le- uh, fewer excuses now than there were.
3: Yeah. Uh,
0: we also have a question about Clayborne. I'll play it for
3: you. What's up, guys? This is Evan from Tempe. Uh, I've called into the to Ryan the PackTold podcast before. Never this one before, but. I just wanted to ask, you know, with the new um, hires um, of Claiborne as a offensive quality control coach and obviously defensive quality control coach, um, I kind of want to know what the outlook on recruiting would be moving forward. Um, obviously, I know there's a lot of excitement specifically about Claiborne, um and who he is as a recruiter. So I just wanted to know kind of what to expect in the near future and then um, in the long term as well with recruiting. So thanks, guys. Well, I think
1: the uh, the thing you like is. Uh... Uh, again, they can't go off off campus, uh, Hayes and, and Chris, uh, unless they take somebody else's recruiting slot. And I know that has happened at times. Uh, but um, just the idea that you will factor them in when you're bringing in a defensive recruit, when you're bringing in especially a linebacker recruit, you will – certainly have them meet with, uh, with Hayes and Chris. And that's the kind of thing those guys want to be going, I, I guess that's a dozen years in the NFL and, and that's in 689 tackles, I think between the two of them. And that's what, what, when you're bringing kids in uh, the kind of kids you could think you can compete for, uh, you know, the playoffs and the national championship, they want to meet people like that. They want to say, that's what this program is. This program is made up of, of people like Chris Claiborne and Hayes Pollard. And uh, I think you can very effectively use them. I mean, I think USC was doing a pretty good job of getting a lot of uh, a lot of production out of the uh, campus based uh, recruiting staff. They had to because the coaches who were uh, some of the coaches who were uh, had the ability to go off campus weren't doing it. So USC almost was forced to uh, to get a whole lot of production out of out of the guys that that couldn't leave campus and out of the, you know, the non coaching uh, recruiters. And I think they've figured out some pretty good ways to do that. And now when you get more and more people plugged into, uh, you know, that recruiting uh, operation, uh, I think, you know, as we've seen, uh, you know, with the new people. Uh, coming in with Dante, you know, Williams leading the way and as competitive as they are and as hard edge, you know, and willing to go here, there and everywhere to try to compete for players, uh, you know, obviously starting to pay off when you're up to, you know, they were number 54 last year and right now they're number four, Uh, kind of a pretty good, you know, uh, a proof of it, it really matters. Who you got doing it, and how encouraged uh, you know you allow them to be, and and, and give them as much support as you can. Um, it's, uh, I mean, I think everything. If you listen to what Urban Meyer says, everything starts with recruiting. You know, yeah. if if you don't recruit, forget it. Whatever else you're doing, doesn't matter. Uh, so you got to start there. They've had a wonderful start, considering they can't go off campus and. And had one, you know, spring uh, ball practice, but uh, they're competitive as heck, and uh, uh, h- hiring these two guys doesn't do anything but help that ability to compete.
0: Yeah, we saw uh, think- Chris. Oh, go, go ahead, Keely, You go ahead. Sorry, Ryan. There's no.
2: problems of Skype. <laughs> um, I think it's also worth noting that uh, Chris Claiborne was the head coach at Calabasas, and and the knock on USC's prior recruiting efforts was that they weren't up to date with what's it like to be a high school kid re- being recruited in this day and age and this era of recruiting. So not only does Claiborne know what it's like, he's been the head coach who's talked to other uh, head coaches of programs. So it's a little bit like oppo research as well. Claiborne can and can educate some of the s- out-of-touch staff with this is what's happening on the high school uh, scene. This is what other head coaches are, are doing. This is how they're recruiting the players that I had uh, when I was the head coach. So I think it's it's a valuable resource to have a former high school coach joined the staff from that angle,
0: you know? Yeah. Not just the fact that he was a former, you know, he's a legend at USC, but he was um, a high school coach. Obviously. Yeah. No, I mean, they're both. I,
2: I'm just saying that's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just no, it's a, both. Both are great. He, yeah.
0: And we saw, you know, Chris Hawkins uh, come in and just do a really good job. And maybe, you know, you, you hope a guy like Hayes Pillard can do something very similar. So um, Chris Hawkins moved on to Arizona State, but he got a, a full-time job there. But yeah, that's uh, I think that's kind of why you bring guys like that in. Like Dan was saying, USC avoided that in the past. So these are all I think these are all positive moves.
1: Yeah, I, th- I do think USC kind of avoided figuring out what other people were doing because they weren't going to do it, and it was like you know that head in the sand kind of thing. Uh, they didn't want to know because you know, again, they just weren't out there competing. And I think that's again a great point by Kelly. That's what you bring somebody like Chris Claiborne in for all the other reasons, but the idea that you know he was right in the middle of that, and you're seeing, for example, how Oregon is recruiting people, and how you know the Ohio States and LSU's are coming to the West Coast and the Alabamas, how they're all doing it, and uh, you gotta you gotta know that, you gotta be part of that, and USC was kind of like. We're in our own little world. No, we don't have to go out and recruit as early as those others, and we'll close fast. And yeah, we know the, the recruiting calendar has changed, but that's not really going to change our calendar. No, you can't do any of that. You, you got to adjust and change and, and, and go with the flow and all that and get ahead of it. And USC wasn't doing that, and now they are. It makes a big difference.
0: All right, uh, we're gonna take a quick break, come right back and uh, answer some more of your questions.
3: Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All
0: right, we're back here on the Peristyle podcast. Let's uh, go to another voicemail. Here you go.
3: Ryan and Keeley. appreciate you guys keeping the ball rolling on football. Hope we have a season ahead. Um, I think it's been kind of undeniable how politicized the response to the run that has been. And in comparing Blue blood programs, which I think USB is, you think about Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma. Now maybe you could throw Clemson in there. All of those programs, they seem um, like they're positioned in states that are more politically inclined than ours to reopen quickly. So I ask you, is USC this year in this particular time at a disadvantage because they're in California, where the decisions are being made slowly and safely, which debatably might be best for the common citizen, but uh, is the speed at which decisions that are being made in this state a danger for a football program that wants to compete against the best in the nation? Appreciate you.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question, and uh, I don't think we know. I, I've been told that USC, yes, they are in conversation with uh, Mayor Garcetti and and, um, and and Governor Newsom, and yes, USC's probably in a more difficult spot. I I, I would say this: Ohio, uh, Republican you know, Republican governor and, and pretty conservative place, has been one of the uh, the leaders in kind of, you know, uh, shutting things down and being very aware of, of, you know, COVID-19 and all that. However, my guess is, and it's gone over pretty well, but if the governor of Ohio says, we're going to hold up Ohio State football for a few weeks, just to be sure, that ain't going to happen, okay? That could happen in California. as not happening in Ohio. It's interesting. Uh, The Pac-12 keeps telling you that, okay, we're going to bring them back June 15th, which is probably the latest of the conferences. You've got uh, June 8th for the SEC, and um, I guess the Big 12 is also June 15th when you can bring players back. But the Pac-12 makes sure that you understand that depends on local conditions. So where Utah might bring them back June 15th, um, uh, we're not sure what California or what Los Angeles uh, are going to do. Now, I think the argument that you can make is, and, and my my sense was that maybe by uh, June uh, 22nd, maybe uh, a week later, USC, I think they think they've got a chance to be back then. And that'll be two weeks later than when Alabama brings their players back. But in the long run that may not really matter that much any more time off. And I think it does matter. Uh, and, and, for example, uh, at staff has been back for a while working on campus at LSU right now at USC, basically no one is back on campus and they don't know when they're going to be back on campus. Um, and you know, we're already in June. So, uh, Is there going to be some catch-up, probably? Yeah, I think USC, and it may not work against you if we're only talking about uh, June 22nd. And it looks like, um, you know, the theory is that the teams that are playing September 5th, like USC, week two, are going to come back uh, July, I think it's July 25th, and that the teams that are opening August 29th are going to come back July uh, uh, 18th. Uh, for actual fall camp and so if everybody gets four weeks like that and everybody gets two weeks of kind of pre-camp work i i I think they come out of it okay but if you get them delayed anymore uh is that when you know does usc have to make a decision and say look we can't do it at usc maybe we do it the way we used to do it at uc irvine you know if orange county is open if they're opening gyms and they're opening uh, you know, businesses and all of that or opening schools, then you go to UC Irvine. I don't know. Do you go to Las Vegas? Do you go to uh, Arizona? I think they need to be ready to maybe make those decisions if, if they say, you know, we're going to keep L.A. shut down. Uh, but will USC be able to do that or not? I don't know. One of the things, if you're talking about doing, making the decisions for the players' health – well, if you keep USC back uh, more than, a, say, a couple of weeks behind what Alabama is when they start, how much damage are you doing to USC players who are expected to be in the same place where Alabama is going to be September 5th if that game uh, you know, happens the way it's scheduled uh, now? I think there are going to be some questions about health and safety of players that are going to really be impacted by, by starting dates. And uh, it might be hard to defend holding players uh, back from starting if they're going to have to be competing with people who aren't being held back from their starting date. So there's a whole lot of questions to be answered. And you asked the right one about, uh, about how California is going to handle this. I don't think we know. I don't
0: think so. I, I've heard some rumblings. I don't know for sure, but I think, some of the coaches, some of the they're, they're starting to come back this week. So I don't know if that's the real thing, or maybe just kind of popping in and out, or checking things out. You know, maybe it's with uh, Hayes Pillard and Chris Clayboard starting. But i had heard that they're they're starting to at least go down that road. So I'll, I'll, we'll have to double check and see. if Yeah, that's really I, I
1: think you're allowed to come into your office, but you have to have like a really good reason, and you just like you say, pop in and pop out. But as far as setting up. In your office and working there, uh, apparently that hasn't been happening. Whether they start breaking through this week, uh, uh, I think that's a, that's really a key. Because I know I saw Ed Orgeron was interviewed uh, the other day in the morning on uh, Fox uh, Fox News, I guess it was, and I guess the person interviewing uh, is an LSU graduate, Sandra Smith, and they're real proud of her, uh, you know, Bayou Bengals. And I know that one of the first things Ed said was he was he his staff was the first staff to return to campus anywhere in the country. So he was really excited about that. And I kind of texted him about it. And he, he said, you got to have that mindset uh, in response. Uh, so that's got to That's what you got to think. You know, you're going to be the first ones back. So that won't be the Pac-12. But uh, they got to get back in time. To be able to to be able to compete, and uh, you know, that Alabama game is a, I think it's a good thing to have that game there because you can't lose sight of that. I mean, it's just it's that simple. You got to be back.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's see. We got another voicemail. Uh, this is about the, uh, the the issue of fans in the stands potentially. Here you go.
3: Hey guys, I want to say thank you very much for the information and having this podcast. It's really important informative this is rick class of 89 from vista sorry no birds today not in my usual spot i want to do a shout out to dan thank you for those trojan fanatic luncheons look forward to them every year all the four three or four times that you do it a couple things i don't understand how the whole season is going to work with fans i think they need to make a decision just have no fans you need to figure out because they need to figure out Who's going to be allowed into the game? How to social distance? Is it boosters first? What about the student section? How are they going to do it? What about the band? you got to have the band. You know, so I think that's an issue, let alone the players, is a much bigger issue. What if somebody in the quarterback group gets sick, and now all your three quarterbacks are out? What are they going to do, play the game without a quarterback? I think that's a much bigger pressing issue. Anyway, I'd like to hear your thoughts. Thank you very much. Bye.
1: Yeah, it, it's a shout-out to the Trojan fanatics that we uh, get together in, uh, down in Vista. Uh, the Late Ron Fletcher set those up, and uh, they just do a great job. And It's a, a, a tremendous lot of fun to go down there. Uh, and really good questions. I, I think most people in college football believe that they are going to be allowed to have some fans there. I think they believe, even if we had it right now, uh, that they would – they would do the social distancing thing, and, and we're, we're talking about really distancing in every way. For example, the theory is no matter how many fans are allowed in, they will give the fans uh, an arrival time, for example, so that you know, they won't be shooting off the fireworks and saying an hour to, hour to kickoff and everybody heads for the gates, that they'll give you on your ticket uh, a, a, an arrival time based on the starting time and that'll be staggered so that you won't have that big backup of people, uh, at any one time, how, you know, how that works in terms of how early some, you know, groups of fans are going to have to get there uh, or that, you know, you might want to be normally there an hour before to see all the pregame and you may not be able to do that. Uh, as far as doing, and they're doing the social distancing models. And I think it's interesting, Ohio State came, back, came up with it. They've got 102,000-seat sta- stadium. They came up with a model of like 20 to 22,000, which is really conservative. Then Iowa State, uh, with a 60,000-seat stadium, said that they thought that under social distancing, they could get 30,000 in. And they kind of used it as a season ticket promotion because they said, we've sold 22,000 right now. We're not going to sell any individual game tickets. Uh, and uh, so the only way you're going to be able to get in is with, with a season ticket. And they, But I thought it was interesting. They didn't say, what about the students? So I would think – I don't think – and I agree with Gene Smith, the Ohio State AD. If you can't – there are a couple of things. If you can't have any students there, I'm not sure – that you really should be playing, uh, for one thing. I think the students have to be there. As you say, the band has to be there. I'm kind of interested in if the – does the band have to keep social distancing? Are they going to be able to march? Are they going to be able to sit together? I mean, what will a band look like if everybody's six feet apart? What will it sound like, for God's sakes? How many sections will that take if they're six feet apart uh, in every direction? So – I'm not sure we've even you know crossed that bridge in terms of the, of the, um, of, of, you know, the impl- you know, implication for the ban, but uh, but I think most people will say they're going to be fans there. How much social distancing do we have to do in three months? I mean, obviously the last week, so much of what's dominated the news has been, with no, you know, thousands and thousands of people with no social distancing. Now, if in a couple of weeks we don't see big, you know, increases in, um, in uh, the coronavirus infections and all that, people will probably say, you know, you're outside, um, it's the summer, it's not going to impact us you know, that much, uh, so we don't have to worry about it. I don't know uh, how that how that's all going to play out, but I think... I would not think they're going to say right now, no fans. That, that's just not going to happen. And, and they're going to learn a lot from what the NFL does uh, and how the NFL handles it. Because the NFL really is saying, we're going to go on our schedule the way we're scheduled to do it. And we're going to do it the way we've always done it as far as right now is concerned. We think we're going to be able to do it. Will they be able to? We don't know. But uh, they're going to have a head start. So you will have seen how the NFL is handling games and fans and all of that uh, as far as college football is concerned. But uh, I think that like the ticket offices in college football have to be doing like 90 different things because they got to have all different sorts of plans for all different numbers of people. And uh, but but I think you have to let students in and you have to let season ticket holders in, in some kind of a pattern. Uh, as far as single-game tickets, I, I would think that's going to be, you know, you better buy them by scalpers or whatever because I don't know that they're going to be selling a lot of uh, individual game tickets.
0: Yeah. It's a big question. We just don't know at this point. So it's just one of the many unknowns heading into uh, it.
1: Uh, to add to that, we have no idea uh, what they're going to do about media. I mean, uh, if you want social distancing, the press box is not the place you want social distancing. Now, maybe they're going to put plexiglass, uh, you know, dividers, but I mean, you're basically sitting, you know, elbow to elbow, uh, 200 people, uh, you know, for three, four hours, that's like classic, uh, way of, you know, and you're in inside, that's kind of a classic way of, uh, transmitting. Uh, coronavirus now, uh, you know, are they going to you know cut way back on uh, you know and do the social distancing and have twenty five or thirty media people in there or whatever? Are they going to pick out a section in the stands and put them there? Uh, you know, one of my theories. Well, I've got two of them for covering practice. I don't see any way they'll let us be, a be in our our pen uh, uh, with. People, again, shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow. Uh, My theory was they should put us up on top of the Dado uh, baseball on that deck and mark places and, you know, whatever, 20 people or however many. But we you would have a separate entrance, um, and you'd be separate from the players, uh, high and removed. Or you could do it in the the last deck of the swim stadium. Uh, How we're going to be allowed to interview people I, I don't see us being allowed to interview people face to face. I would be completely shocked if that happens this year. I, I just I don't see it. So they're going to have to figure out ways that we can do it you know by tele, uh, television after games where we submit questions and they ask everybody uh, you know and, and pipe it back to the press box, for example. I mean just for example, uh, if you if you went with the normal procedure, uh, just getting people on the elevator up and back. If you, you know, if they make the rule that on that elevator, either one of those press box uh, and private box elevators, two people might be capacity if you got to keep six feet uh, uh, distancing. And you know, how long would the line be to get on that elevator before the game? I mean, or after the game, whatever. Um, and if you're going to do what we normally do where after the, at the end of the game, you go down through the stands, uh, where you bump shoulders with, you know, 150 people on the way down where they have to come up with a new path to get you down to the field. Will they let you stand on the sidelines? I don't think they're going to let anybody stand on the sidelines. Um, they they have, they don't have a decision. For example, what do they do with the, uh, uh, photographers and video folks on the sidelines? Do they give them each a, a mark every six feet or do they let them stand, you know, in the same place or whatever? There are so many questions that, that have to, and just, that's just the media. So when you start getting into all the details of all the things that, that could or should, or have to happen before uh, you get a football game, uh, man, <laughs> there's so much yeah. uh, to do. I, and, and, and you can't even answer any of those questions now because you have no idea where we're going to be in three months. So you can do plans. You can ask all these questions. But uh, what do you what do you, you know, do as far as making a, 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 a firm plan? Yeah, you don't
0: can't do it yet. So we'll, uh, we'll keep paying attention week by week. Get a little closer. Um, and we'll see what happens. I got one last voicemail for you. I think Keely might have another email, but here's the uh, last voicemail from our buddy, Curtis.
1: Hi, Curtis from Moreno Valley with a tidbit of
3: information for the peristyle. It's always complained about that Clay Helton's, uh extension was too much. And it may have been,
1: they may have, have gave too high of a buyout. Maybe it, it caused too much and maybe it was too long of a contract, but there's no doubt when he got the extension, he had the most wins for his first two seasons as head coach in USC history. There is no coach that had more wins in their first two seasons than Clay Helton. After that, he got an extension. And it actually makes sense. It's the truth. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Curtis, sir. I, I- not to be totally negative about that, but there are what do they say? Lies, damn lies, and then statistics. And that might be one of those statistics things that, you know, doesn't really match up with reality. My understanding is that the negotiating point was that the USC basketball coach had a longer uh, extension of his contract than the football coach. And that the point was made that. That shouldn't be the way it is at, at USC, that the basketball coach shouldn't have a longer contract than the football coach, and so they, they made them equal in terms of, of, of length of, of the contract, and that got Clay the extension that uh that everybody you know got unhappy about, but that's my understanding now as to how that exactly happened that it was like, well, it's not fair if, if the basketball coach has a longer contract than the than the football coach, my understanding is that's how it just sort of slid in there. It wasn't with a lot of thought or anything. it just was oh let's let's make the two of them equal, so yeah
0: that we heard something similar uh, to that and it was a five-year extension and it was, yeah. Uh, you know, I, am not going to defend it. It was, it was, it wasn't needed. It wasn't necessary. There was no one trying to hire Clay Helton away. Um, so there was no reason to do that. Uh, and then, you know, five and seven Curtis, if you want to be fair, was the worst record uh, in the last, you know, 20 years. So, you do that extension and you have an inexperienced athletic director doing it and Lynn Swan and there you are. And so you've lost, uh, you know, he's 13 and 13 in his last, uh, 26 games. And, uh, you know, is the extension really worth it at that point? No, I think you don't sign that extension. You can do something after five and seven, you sign that extension and the coach goes five and seven. There's nothing you can do. So yeah, I, I'm sorry, Curtis, I disagree with you on this one. It's just, it's hard to defend that, that decision by Lynn Swan.
1: Yeah, I think it was one of those non-decisions decisions where you just, okay, we'll do that. And you just don't even think about it all that much and then comes back to bite you. Yeah.
2: So AJ said he loved the questions from Dan, class of 1962. Well, guess what? We have a question from Dan, class of 1962, and it's the last one for the pod today. He says, Mike Bone and his staff appear to be doing a very good job of righting the wrongs of the past 10 years of the athletic administration. However, the two most egregious are the loss of Reggie Bush's Heisman Trophy and the loss of the BCS National Championship Trophy. The current administration needs to be adamant that the the restoration of those two accomplishments are mandatory. Everyone agrees in the media and in the general public except maybe Notre Dame, Stanford, and UCLA alumni that the actions against USC were punitive because many schools with far more egregious actions, like the coach at Alabama handing monthly money to an offensive lineman, did not result in the loss of games or trophies. Reggie Bush's family did receive money from an agent, but it was so, this is all in caps, so that he would leave the school for the NFL not to recruit him to play at USC. USC needs to sue the NCAA for libel and defamation of the school. Fight on and win has to have meaning in this travesty of justice. Fight on and win. Dan, class of 1962.
1: Yeah, it's hard to disagree with the sentiments there. Uh, uh, You know, I mean, I I, I would think the has pretty much made themselves uh, suit proof. uh, But uh, and so I don't know, you know, you win any battles doing that, but. Yeah, I, I you would really like to see USC mount some kind of effective public relations campaign, uh, you know. And, and the problem with like getting the you know the BCS trophy back is there is no BCS anymore. I mean, they're gone. They're in the you know they're ghosts. So how you do that? I don't know. Who you even you know convinced to hey give it back to us? It's fair. Like we're the only school that didn't you know that broke any rules in the history come on you guys uh, no one would defend that that oh usc was dirtier than a bunch of the other schools that won after after those uh years for usc as far as reggie bush's i'd really push that one hard i think the heisman for the heisman you know i would guess if you looked at all the heisman winners where would reggie bush fit in on um uh, accepting uh, illegal benefits, I would not know that he, I wouldn't guess he's in the top half of, of guys. And we're talking 67, if you go 60, 70 years back, uh, I would not think, uh, you know, now, as they made the point with Cam Newton, it isn't about what your parents are getting and what you, quote, didn't know about necessarily. So if you take those off the table, uh, the direct benefits for Reggie, uh, I, would, I would think he's absolutely not in the top half of Heisman Trophy winners getting direct benefits for being great football players at their college. So, yeah, it's, it's wrong that his Heisman Trophies had to go back. And for the Heisman to jump on the, on the bandwagon back then was embarrassing for the Heisman. They knew better. Uh, they see those guys every year. They could ask them all. We all know, you know, what that story was. But uh, um, so I think, you know, in fairness, not only uh, is Reggie's penalty coming to an end uh, for ten year, after ten years with the NCAA, it might be a good time to say to the Heisman, "Look, be fair." And, and, and I don't know how you would do a campaign like that, but that wouldn't be a bad thing for USC to figure out. How do we do a campaign or for somebody uh, that's a big USC uh, booster or fan to figure out how do we do that campaign to uh, try to get the Heisman Trophy to do, do the right thing?
0: Yeah. It's uh, hashtag free Reggie. I think, I think it's June 10th. So we got another week or so is when he can be, uh, you're welcome back on campus. So I, I expect something to happen on the USC end pretty soon. And then maybe we'll see where it goes from there. So, uh, Keep your fingers crossed, Dan, if you want to see uh, Reggie Bush back in the fold.
1: Yeah, and I think Reggie ought to do something too. I mean, I think Reggie owes it to USC to uh, be involved in in something to to benefit USC. And and I think from his point of view, it would be a good thing, uh, you know, for Reggie to step up and say, here's what I want to do for USC. I want to thank him. Uh, I want to, you know, be able to. Now that I'm able to officially participate, here's here's one way. I mean, for example, the NCAA said he had to be dis- disassociated forever. Uh, so now, let's say Reggie wanted to endow a scholarship or something like that. Would it not be allowed to be under his name? Would he not be allowed to give USC? Uh, I mean, that's what they were saying then, that Reggie couldn't even, uh, you know, give a scholarship to USC. I mean, that's the length of stupidity uh, and meanness uh, than the NCA went to in this particular case. And it's just, it was wrong. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. it was totally inequitable with everything else that has gone on. And, uh, and the NCA ought to be willing to, to, you know, say, Hey, we probably screwed up.
0: Yeah. All right. Keely, anything else? Nope, that is it. Oh, okay. I think she was on mute, I'm assuming.
1: <laughs> I was. Uh, she's social distancing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it does that a little. Uh, vocal all right. distancing. That, I like that, vocal distancing. <laughs> uh, all right, well, we'll wrap things up then. Uh, that is Keely, Dan, I am Ryan. Uh, hopefully everyone else stays safe out there. We're going to have uh, Coach Harvey Hyde on tomorrow. Make sure you check out the uh, Petros and Money, not Petros and Money, the Petros Pepedakis Tunnel Vision. I've been talking for a couple hours in a row. Um, <laughs> check that one out. It, it's hard what they do. They do it all the time. Uh, yeah, to do back-to-back shows. We're going to try to have them on again tomorrow. So I'm setting that up now. So hopefully if you check out uscfootball.com, you'll see part two where I can have answer. I didn't get to ask any of the uh, peristyle questions or youtube questions and stuff dan sent me a couple of questions so i didn't get a chance to answer ask any of those
1: you might not be able to ask him all the questions i sent but uh not all but
0: a we'll ask a couple yeah uh but we'll try to do that tomorrow so he was nice enough after uh he got disconnected to to say he'd come on again so make sure you check that out we'll have harvey hyde on the podcast tomorrow so a bunch of shows this week so everyone out there please stay safe thank you so much for tuning in and we will talk to you next time You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening